I love the Lord. And uh, while I was sitting there, I, I uh, leaned over and uh, told Leanne that I heard her father praying my entire sermon. <laughs> he literally prayed the entire thing. <laughs> he does, he's not aware, but uh, in a few minutes he'll find out. You know, God is so good to us. I'm really happy that we get to share together in a setting like this where we get to talk about the Word of God. I get excited when we delve into the Bible because there's always so much to learn. You cannot exhaust this one little book. Yet, more than that, the Bible has power to transform lives. And so this morning, I want you to just bow your heads with me as we pray um, to invite the presence of the Lord to be with us. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you so much for how good you are to us. And Lord, as we now draw lessons from the scriptures, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit may enlighten us and help us to understand it. We ask you, dear Father, that as we come willingly before you to teach us, and we pray as we come humbly that you may strengthen us, and we pray, Lord, that as we come as sinful as we are, we ask that you forgive us. Lord, use these words. Um, in fact, use your words. And we pray that you may speak to all of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me not eat with pigs, but if I do. Animal lovers, I don't know about you, but animal lovers tend, tend, to, tend to boast a lot about their cute little pets at home. I, I don't mind it. I've, I've heard a couple conversations, and I've seen a couple pictures, and you can immediately see that pets are really cute. They're cute. You know, they bring somewhat of uh, a bright atmosphere to our, to our homes. And uh, if you don't have kids, kids yet and you're married, then the next best thing, at least what I've heard, is to get a pet. Right? Um, we're not too into that, so we're going to wait. <laughs> for some, it could be their favorite, you know, for, for some people who really love pets, their favorite cat, you know, I, I always hear these very interesting names, you know, Coco or, or, or Lily, you know, these really nice names for, for animals, right, for pets. Uh, but I love dogs. Man's best friend, right? You know, this one is not a lion, he's actually a dog. I love dogs. I remember growing up with one. My, my dog's name was Rambo. And of course, you can tell by the name that he had some power. You know, Rambo was not a big dog. He was a mutt. But he knew how to carry his weight. Whenever he walked on the street, all the dogs knew on his block that he was the boss. And so we called him Rambo because of his temperament. Pets do have personalities, don't they? So Rambo was kind of like that. He was, he was, that, he was the boss, you know. So... We, we saw him, we were like, this dog is going to take over the world. So let's name him Rambo. But Rambo, I remember the impact that the loss of, of Rambo had on me personally as a, as a kid growing up. I, I remember running with this dog. We all, I mean, we had dog, we had animals around the house. I mean, not in the house, but around the house, if you understand what I mean. Right? It, uh, we had goats. We, we raised goats. We also raised pigs. Um, we... we we had some kind of, you know, we had a, a, a quite a few. My family back in Jamaica, I remember going to visit my uncle, and I remember the first time I woke up at 4 in the morning to go milk the cows. Man, that was such an experience. As a kid, I didn't like it. Number one, I had to wake up at 4. 
Number two, I had to walk through the bushes. And it wasn't cool back then to be going to milk cows. To go, yeah, of course. You, that, that's not a story you share at high school. But nonetheless, we did. And I remember the impact that losing Rambo had on me as a kid. We had a troubled neighbor who didn't really like the dog. Rambo was found on his property, and he grabbed his gun and shot the dog and killed him. And I remember the impact that that had on me as a child. I've never had a dog since then, but in the future when I grow up, I'm going to get another one. <laughs> Dogs have personalities. But if you want to see personalities, observe these cute little these cute little munchkins or these amazing creatures called cats. They have such personalities, right? But I don't really, I'm not really, I'm not very fond of cats. Now, I don't mean this in a, I don't, someone said they, they aren't either. I don't mean this in a bad way. I think cats are nice. You know, everybody has their own pets. I have people who are fond of snakes. Some people like snakes as pets and others like turtles and so on, but not me. I, cats are very interesting because cats tend to have this, this personality that they, they say that dogs are a man's best friend, but for cats it's the other way around. Men are cats' best friends. They're in charge. But cats, whenever I see them, they have this look in their eyes as they're like, what are you doing here? Let me scope you out and see if I can take over. And if you have a bunch of cats, they're, form they're forming an army behind your back, waiting and longing to take over your home. <laughs> Winston Churchill had his favorite pets too. But Winston Churchill was very interesting in that he said, I am fond of pigs. Not dogs, not cats, not snakes, not turtles. He said, I'm fond of pigs because dogs look, they look up to us, cats look down on us, pigs treat us as equals. Isn't that interesting? It's a very interesting way to, to, phrase his, to frame his, his ideology around having a pet pig, right? And I decided for this sermon to take it upon myself to go to a pig farm. Oh, I tell you, I went home and my wife did not want to hug. It was the first time she did not want to hug me. I went there because I wanted to know what pigs are as far as personality. I, remember I, grew, I grew up with pigs. We raised them, but I did not pay close attention as to how pigs operated in, in, in their realm and how pigs worked together in their, in their groups. And there's a name for even the groups that pigs work together in. Pigs are interesting creatures. And he told me he's been raising hogs for about 30 years. So he began to give me a litany of how all that he knew about pigs. And so he told me, in order to get a pig to trust you first, you have to feed it. Because pigs love food. He said, in order to get a pig's trust, so from a child growing up, if, 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 from, a, from a baby pig growing up, a piglet, that's the name, you have to feed that animal until they grow up and then they love you. They, they never leave you. You just keep feeding the pig. Kind of similar to dogs, they say. They say pigs and dogs have a very similar personality type. He continued by saying that pigs are very social animals. They, they normally work in groups called cohorts. That's what they're called. These cohorts, by the way, are normally controlled by a boar, which is a male pig he goes on, called the boss hog. 
And I thought that was interesting. He said, the boss hog, by the way, the boss hog decides who eats and when they eat. Isn't that crazy? Like you think about it, right? The boss hog decides, oh, where are you going? No, 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 you back up. I'm about to eat, by the way. The boss hog is in control. He said further that wild pigs are very intelligent. They are the most stubborn of all animals. Not only that, he said the older boar gets, it develops a distinct smell that soaks into its own body and that if you were to eat its flesh, you would certainly throw up because of how much they stink. Very gross, I, I thought. And I remember when I was driving into this pig farm, I remember the distinct smell. I remember driving up to it, and I'm like, ah, I don't, if, I don't even know if I wanted, Lord, should I preach this sermon? Let me change the title. Like, I don't want to go here. I, I remember smelling it. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. I hopped out of the car and walked in, and I remember the procedure. The guy told me, okay, take your shoes off. I had to take my shoes off outside. I had to go in. I had to take a shower before I got into this place. And then I had to take a shower when I got out of this place. Very interesting. I was like, wow. I'm learning a lot of lessons for, tomorrow, for the sermon that's coming up. When I left, I smelled like pigs for sure. He said that pigs are also susceptible to different kinds of diseases that, that, hum, human, brings, that human brings, and, and he says vice versa. In, in other words, you can, catch a disease, you can catch a disease from a pig, and you can also give a pig a disease. And that's why I had to take a shower. He goes on. And I thought, this is very fascinating information, because Jesus Goes, Jesus shares a story with us in scripture that takes us not only on a pig farm, but right into a pig's pen. And not only there, Jesus goes even further by taking us into the life of a pig, even down to what the pigs eat. And so I thought, these valuable lessons will help me to paint the picture. So if you don't mind, you know the story, you've probably heard of it before, the story of the prodigal son. And so Jesus shared this story at a time where he was being questioned by others. But this familiar passage is an interesting yet, it's, it's an anomalous passage of scripture in which Jesus responds to some complaints that the Pharisees had. You know what their complaints were? Luke chapter 15, let's go there together. So this is the setup, the scene. Jesus, as he always does, begins to teach. And whenever Jesus opens his mouth, there was always people that were intently listening to what he had to say. They just wanted to hear the words of Jesus, which felt like dewdrops on a desert land. And so people get, began to gather. And whenever Jesus preached, there were always different types of people that would come together. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. To hear him. Luke wasn't so careful about describing who those people were. He, he just goes right into it. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. I, I did some re research on the tax collectors, by the way. And by the way, they weren't the favorite types of people back then. They were the equivalent, not, not the equivalent, by the way. This is an extreme case. The tax collectors back then were extremely hated 
Today we get along with the IRS a little bit better. Okay, somebody said, well. <laughs> but these tax collectors back then, they were worse in the sense that they extorted people. They always, they, they really, all they wanted to do was to get rich. But not only that, there were Jews who were serving Romans. So they were the in-between. They weren't really a Jew because the Jews didn't like them. They didn't classify them as Jews. They weren't really Romans because the Romans were actually using them to build up their coffers. These tax collectors. And so when a Jew saw one coming, he knew. And by the way, back then, they, they did taxes differently. They saw you. Did you pay your tax? And they, by the way, they told me that, I, I read that there are different types of taxes that you had to pay. You had, you had to pay your property tax, but then you had to pay your inheritance tax too. You still have to. But there are other taxes, and if they saw you and you were walking into the temple to, to, offer, to, to, to make an offering to the Lord, they would charge you tax on that too. I mean, it was intense. These guys weren't careful. These guys were really wanted some money, and so the tax collectors were hated. And then there were the sinners. For the Jews, the sinners were, they, they classified them as the heathen, the ones that really didn't, they weren't really Jews. They, they, they were living horrible lives. And, and in other versions, the Bible actually combines both together, the sinners and the tax collectors, because they're, the, they're both the same, in the same category. Verse 2 of the Bible says, and the Pharisees and scribes complained. Complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you imagine that coming to church one Sabbath morning and the pastor is, is speaking and he steps out the pulpit and he goes downstairs in potluck and he sits down and he begins to eat at a table with a group of people. And while the pastor is there eat, uh, eating with this group of people and talking with them, you hear someone walking with their nose up. Pastor is... I wonder why pastor is eating with that group over there. Doesn't he know that that group of people are there, tax collectors and sinners? I don't know what's wrong with this pastor. He's really not a pastor because he, he should know better. And so Jesus begins to respond. Verse 3. So he spoke this parable. And by the way, the Bible goes into a series of parables that Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke about the parable of the lost sheep. If you have 99, if you have 100 and one goes away, what would you do? You'd go to find the one and bring it back home. Bring it back home. And that sheep, that lost sheep, would be on the shoulder of the shepherd. Then Jesus goes into the woman who lost a coin. She searched the house, swept it, and found her coin. And at the end of this, Jesus outlines that in the kingdom of heaven, he goes on to say, verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, Jesus says it again. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why did Jesus repeat himself? There was something that he was trying to communicate to the Pharisees who had their nose up looking down at people. Jesus wanted them to understand that in heaven's reality, things were different. And then Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus 
like, like, a, like, a wonder, like an amazing songwriter, Jesus goes into a kind of crescendo. This is the high point of Luke 15. Jesus outlines that a certain man, verse 11, had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, uh, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. This is not customary. You understand. For a young man to ask his father to give him the things that he would inherit after his father's death is to say, Father, I wish you were dead. But give me some stuff. Give me what I deserve. And so he takes it. The Bible goes on. So he divided to them his livelihood. And notice that the Bible says he didn't divide to him. He divided to who? Them, which means that both brothers received. One brother requested, father divided to them. We're going to get to the other brother later. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You know, sometimes we just want to be away from the father's house. Sometimes we don't really like the rules that the father has in his house. And so we go into a far country. We go into a far country. The Bible says in verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And by the way, the word joint literally means to force himself on a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So Jesus tells us a story about a young man who ended up in the pig's pen. Not only on the pig's farm, but in the pig's pen. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine eat. And no one gave him anything. Can you imagine this young man competing with the boss hog for a carob pod? So sad. This, this, is just, this, this is just not right. Talk about timing. When I was younger, my brother and I would often give a lot of trouble. I confess, I was one of those... Uh, one of those uh, children. I, I was a troublemaker. And I remember one day my brother and I was sitting, were sitting on this bamboo, uh, bamboo fence, that, that our neighbor's fence, and we were jumping and bouncing on it as, as if it was ours. My dad shouted to us, Jermaine, you guys come over. Don't be doing that. That doesn't belong to you. Neither does it belong to me. Stop. And so I thought, cool, Dad. We just kept going. We just kept going. He came again. Son, come. Stop. Don't let me tell you again. But we just kept going. You know when the third time comes? That's it. So my dad again comes the third time. Son, come. And we just kept going. And my dad said nothing else. 
Before we knew it, we saw dad walking our direction. And his hands, his hand was not empty. And so my brother and I, we devised a plan. We waited and watched, but, but we devised a plan. I said, okay, are you going to run today or I'm going to run? So he said, man, I'm not, I'm not up to that. I'm going to explain and apologize. And I'm like, hey, I'm not sticking around. So my dad was walking toward us. I took off. My brother sat there. And I remember while I was running, my brother, I remember hearing him crying. And so I said, nah, not today. The problem was we had a goat. Now, I like goats, but not this goat. My dad realized because I ran off, he, he didn't give my brother his due portion. He actually cut it short and started after me. But you see, I'm pretty fast, and so I, I knew he couldn't catch me. And so I was, I was out, I, I was, and he was, he was coming behind me, and I saw him running. But we had a goat. I was making strides, man. I was about to make it out there, and I was about to escape, but our, our goat, for some reason, while feeding on this tuft of grass, was moving across the road that I'm running towards. And the rope was dragged tight. And my goat tripped me. And I got caught. Don't run away from the father's house. You get into a lot of trouble. The problem with sinners these days is that they always feel that they can make their own choices in the face of God's commands. With material prosperity, they don't want to stick around in the father's house because they say the father's house is cumbered with rules. So they make their request and they bounce. Benefiting from the hand of God, taking his goods and wasting it with a sickening life. And all the while with a terrible attitude. They cheat themselves. And while it all looks good for a time, it comes crashing down. Life away from the father's house always ends up in the pig pen. It always leads us to eating pig's food. Because they haven't realized what they truly desire. And that is a desire for God. And that pig's food cannot supply. We ought to know that being with the father is way more satisfying than the things he permits us to have. And I meet prodigals all the time. I was one. And yet while this story brought hope to the sinner, this was a jarring illustration for the Pharisees. It sounded to their ear, it sounded like fingernails on a chalkboard being scratched as Jesus spoke. There's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Because you know why? This is what they believed. The Pharisees believed there is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. 
That's what they believe. Can you imagine that? As they believe that, that's their concept, that's their mindset. And Jesus says, no, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But in their minds, no, there's joy before God when those sinners perish. And so they, they could easily say, why does this man allow sinners and publicans to gather around him? I mean, sinners and tax collectors. That's what they believed. Could it be that there are Pharisees today who would not allow someone who ate in the pig's pen to enter the Lord's house? Jesus once said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Matthew 23, verse 13. So, let me not eat with pigs. Let me not eat with pigs, but if I do, help me to understand that I'm not a pig. But it's going to take you to help me to understand that. Because in the pig's pen, perception changes. You know, you, you begin to think like you're an animal. The Bible says that he came to himself. The Bible paints a vivid picture for us. It shows us that the prodigal son somehow lost his way. Left the father's house and went out, did his own thing. But help me to understand that I'm not a pig. And more than that, help me to understand that I do not belong among pigs, eating pig's food. The Bible says no one gave him anything. Can you imagine that? When we leave the Father's house, sometimes the greatest deception is to believe that because we have done, we are. We believe that because we have done something, that's who we are. We believe that because we've made a mistake, therefore I am because I, because I did that. But we need help to understand that that's not the case. You and I are still sons of God. You are not despised by God, but loved. Go home. For at God's house, there is a loving father who is willing and ready to receive you if you but return. There are thousands who are wasting their lives away out there in the pig's pen of materialism. They have traded relationship with, for God and they have traded God for their relationship. They have traded God for their money. They have replaced God with a relationship that, and they feel stuck. Stuck. Because when you're used to eating pig's food, your perception changes. Helped me to have a change of perception. I remember when I went to the, 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 the pig farm, I, I remember coming home and I, I, I took a shower there. I, I took a shower when I got home, but I, I was working on my sermon and I remember my I remember this, thing, this distinct smell as if I was still there and I was like, where is this coming from? What I did not remember was that I wore my glasses on the pig's farm. So here it is that the smell was above my nose and I couldn't tell. And so I took my glasses off, sniffed a little, 
put it aside, soaked it in water, and worked on my sermon half blind because I was ashamed of my glasses. I looked at my wife and I told her, you know what? This gives me a powerful illustration. Praise God. Because I don't even see the same when I leave the pig's pen. I had to clean this thing up, get it washed. And like God who says, listen, I want to wash your eyes with eyesaw so that you may see. And so I soaked my glasses, washed it up, and I put it back on and I could see clearly. Even her eyes need to be washed. Just imagine the struggle of this young man. Dirty from his interactions with the beast. Lonely because he was despised and forsaken. Forsaken by even those he had spent his entire life with. Not even a morsel would pass from their hand to his. No one gave him anything. And you see that guy, the guy he chose to hang out with, the person who had caused him to lose his hold on God now forsook him. He finally realizes it, and he feels forsaken. The girl he had been sleeping with and hanging out with had left him, dumped him, and now he realized he's the only one. The job that he had worked for away from the father's house, that he had, he had sacrificed principles. The days he broke the Sabbath, and now it all came crashing down when the boss walked in and said, I have to let you go. And now we ended up in the pig's pen, contending with the boss hog for a pod. A pod that was already slimy from the pig's mouth. It was broken, standards lowered. Lifestyle of ease and indulgence paved the way for him to end up in the pig's pen. No restraints. Grasp at anything he could find. Live without rules. And now he's, he comes face to face with this image as he stumbles upon a pool of water and sees his reflection in the pig's pen. Dirty and in need of washing. Life outside of the father's house stinks. I was traveling from Pennsylvania. I was there for a speaking, uh, speaking engagement and I was on my way back. It was a horrible weekend, not because of uh, me being there, but because of how the flights ended up. Perfect weather in Michigan. Lee, I was leaving Lansing at about 4 a.m. in the morning. This was Friday, I was heading to Pennsylvania. And crews showed up late for the flight Flight got delayed. By the time I got to Detroit, my next flight was, was already gone, my connecting flight. And so I was stuck in Detroit. Then this nor'easter came in, grounded all the flights. And so I was stuck in Detroit for hours. I left, the other, I left on Sabbath morning, Sabbath afternoon rather, at 4 p.m. And I was scheduled to preach Friday night and Sabbath morning. I missed both. And I remember the feeling God, why is this happening? I remember the prayers that I prayed, Lord, somehow work this out. And anyway, I ended up in Pennsylvania. I preached, and I was on my way back now Sunday evening, and I got delayed again. This time, I got delayed in Chicago. 
And I was sitting down waiting for the, 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 PA, the system to come on and say, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to board. You know, and I, I remember the flight number and all these different kind of things. Please have your boarding pass in hand. And finally, the lady said it. And while I was walking to board this plane, a young lady looked at me in the eyes and she said, life stinks. And I thought, Lord, I don't feel like talking to anyone. <laughs> but I prayed. I was tired and I was, I was flustered and I was frustrated. But, but she, she looked at me and she said, life stinks. And I thought, yeah, life stinks, doesn't it? And then I began sharing my story. Hey, listen, I left my home at 4 a.m. And even now, I like my flight, and I explained this all this, this entire story. And she looked at me again, and she says, life stinks. I'm 18 years of age, and I just found out that I'm pregnant, and I don't even know who the father is. And it broke my heart. I forgot my flight. I forgot the feelings I felt, and I began talking with her. I said, I'm a pastor. Let's sit together on this flight. And by the way, this was, the flight was so empty that we could choose wherever we wanted to sit. And so we sat down together, and she began explaining as she was tearing up. I remember telling her, I have two Bibles in my bag. You want to study, study it with me? She said, yes, let's study together. And so here we are sitting on this flight from Chicago to Flint, and we, we had enough time to do a Bible study on the great controversy. We talked about the power of God to save her. And she said, you know, I was a Christian, but I lost my way. And I told her, God is longing to have you home. She told me that she was on her way to Flint, and even now I'm crying. I apologize. Even now, she told me she's going to visit someone who she hasn't seen, a relative she hasn't seen in years. And I remember how broken I was after that interaction with her. And I said, I hope I see you sometime. I hope I see you again. Life outside of the Father's house stinks. She was right. But if I ever end up out of the Father's house, let me not eat with pigs, but if I do, help me not to focus on the judgment of others when I do enter the Father's house. If I come to my Father's house to receive pardon and I seem despised by my brother or my sister who stands high and looks down at me, that brother, they say, he didn't. You could tell that he stinks. You could tell his clothes looks dirty. You could tell he's wasted his time. You could tell that his life is broken. You could tell that he's been living in sin. But help me not to focus on the judgment of others. In the brother's eyes, this man was still where he was. There are some people who, who are just to hang up, hung up on our past. You know, you're acting all holy now. You remember that time when you used to, uh, <laughs> they begin. But even though they may say that, not in the Father's eyes. 
You know, brother, you may act all cool and nice, but you're still kind of messed up because of what you did, but not in the Father's eyes. You know, sister, it doesn't look like you've come too far in your walk with Jesus, but not in the Father's eyes. They cannot see beyond what they knew. Some are still hang up in what we used to be. But let us rejoice when someone comes home. The Bible says in Malachi 2.10, do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal so treacherously with one another? While the sin was evident in this brother's eyes, it wasn't so in the father, in the father's eyes. We need not look through the brother's lenses, for it is evident that in the father's eyes, these things look quite different. My Bible tells me that God does not look on the outward appearance, but on the heart that is converted. Yes, the father who sits high and looks low saw an image of, an, of one stumbling on that old beaten path. He's now making his way home, and he's sitting on his throne, and he jumps off and runs his direction. And as he came close, I can just imagine the stench that the father smelled. But that didn't bother him. He was still running. You can smell a pig farm from a mile away. You could have probably smelled this young man from a mile away too, but not the father. He didn't care. He just wanted to have his son home. So he ran out and gave him a big hug. There is a God in heaven who sits high and looks low. His eyes are under sparrow, but I know that he watches you and me too. And he, when we walk his direction, jumps off to meet us in the middle. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, to not lose you and me, chose a cross. What love is that? It cannot be explained in human terms. This is a God who chooses to die in your place and my place so that we may be home with the Father. I don't know about you, but I want to go home. Amen. So we need to get this thing right. Let me not eat with pigs, but if I do, help me to realize that I'm more than just a hired servant. When he came to himself, he said, my father has hired servants, if I may just be one. But when he got home, the father didn't really listen to anything he said. He just said, hey, I'm happy my son is home. Let me not eat with pigs, but if I do, remind me to return to my father's house. And when I do, help me to remind my brother when I'm there to rejoice and be merry. For the son who was lost is now found. In closing, a story is told of a father who, he and his son, they got estranged from one another. They didn't really talk for years. And the son had run, ran away from home. They really didn't couldn't work together. And the father realized, and he set out to find him. He searched for months to no avail. And finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, 
he put an ad in a newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your dad. On Saturday morning, 800 Pacos showed up. And he had to find which one was his son. They were looking for forgiveness from their father too. And I just imagine this morning, there's a God who is standing, who has a letter written with your name on it. Dear so-and-so, come meet me now. All is forgiven. I wonder how many will come. Maybe your name isn't Paco, but it certainly is something else. And your father is calling you. And this is the time to respond. If you sense that you find yourself in either the story of the prodigal son or, or the brother who was on the other side and, and you say, Father, I want to come home. I'm going to ask you to join me up front so we can pray together. I want to go home, don't you? And our Heavenly Father is waiting for us to, to be with him so that we may finally enter those gates. If God has laid a burden on your heart, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Join me up front and let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to lead us into a closer walk with him. Now is the time to respond to the call of God. Maybe you're not all the way out there. Maybe you haven't, you haven't left the church, but you're still inside, but at the same time, you're not as close to God as you need to be. And he's calling you. Now is the time to respond. I just wonder how many of us feel that distance that is, is so poignant. You can feel it. You know that you're in the Father, you and the Father, you're not on good terms. And you want to say, Lord, now's the time where I want to experience forgiveness. I want to meet you at the altar. Because I want to give my heart to you. I want to surrender my life to you in a real way. Now is the time. Come home. Because God is calling you. For those of us who are in this gathering who realize that you are still struggling in your walk with God and you want to make it better, I'm going to ask that you stand. Lord, this is my way. This is the way that I demonstrate to you that I want this important relationship to continue. You know what I can't wait for? I can't wait for that day when we finally get to heaven. When we experience that hug that Jesus gives. Man, what must that feel like? When he grabs us and says, hey, welcome home. Welcome home. I can't wait for that, can't you? Lord, the Lord is good to us. And in this gathering, in every gathering, there are people who have to make decisions for the Lord. And I don't want to overlook you. If you felt that you've strayed away from the Lord and you want to recommit your life to him through baptism, 
I'm going to ask you to, to raise your hand, just, just indicating to heaven that this is the time where I want to show you, Lord, that I'm serious about this thing. If I've been running away from you, Lord, I, I want to come home and be with you where you are. The Lord knows you. He's looking at your heart. He knows who you are. All you need to do is tell him, I'm ready. And he's willing and able to do it for you. At this time, all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Again, I'm going to make that call that person who realizes and understands that, hey, I need to give my life to Jesus. I haven't done it yet, but I want to. This is your time to respond. Or maybe there's someone else who has given their life to Jesus through baptism, but you realize that you've strayed away like the prodigal son, and you want to renew that commitment. Please raise your, aunt, raise your hand indicating that I want to take this step, dear Lord. I want to follow your will. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Now is the time for you to pray for your brothers and sisters who are struggling in the valley of decision. Let us pray. Father, we come. We come as children who are broken and needy. We come as children who know that we have been away from the Father's house. For some of us, Lord, we have been in the Father's house, but yet still away from the Father. And so we come. We come now because we realize that this thing that we've been trying on our own, we haven't been succeeding. We come because we realize that our sinful hearts and our guilt-ridden souls need freedom. A freedom that only God can give. And so we ask you that you forgive us, please. We pray that our souls may be refreshed by those words spoken from Jesus' lips. There is joy in the presence of God and the angels over one sinner who repents. Lord, we are so thankful that you did not wait for us to get it right. We are thankful that you came to die on the cross anyway to save us. Lead us now in a closer walk with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.